there, everybody. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 155, and we will be talking about gallstones, gallbladder disease, basically cholelithiasis and cholecystitis. Before we do that, I always like to take a moment to recognize the listeners with my listener shout out. So this one goes out to Addie. And Addie writes, Nurse Mo is informative, helpful, kind, easy to listen to, and funny. I greatly appreciate her podcast as a pre-nursing student. It helps me understand what to expect when I get into nursing school. Thank you, Nurse Mo. I highly recommend this podcast to everyone. Thank you so much, Addie. I really, really appreciate that so very much. So in this episode, you guys, we're going to be talking about gallbladder disease, and then at the end, we'll have a few of those pod quiz questions that I know you love. And if you love them, then stick around to the very end for an exciting announcement. Okay, who's ready to dive into gallbladder disorders? So gallbladder disease can fall into a few different categories. It can be gallstones, it can be inflammation of the gallbladder, it can even be gangrene, abscesses, gallbladder cancer, and something called sclerosing cholangitis. However, the most common disorders that you'll see are obstructions and inflammation, so we'll be focusing on those in today's episode. So gallbladder obstruction. These obstructions of the gallbladder are a result of, you guessed it, gallstones, which you will hear referred to as cholelithiasis. That's the condition in which the gallbladder has gallstones. And these gallstones are made up of bile substances and can stay either inside the gallbladder itself where they may or may not have any symptoms associated with them at all, or they pass into the cystic duct. And as you may recall from your anatomy and physiology class, the cystic duct then turns into basically that common bile duct. So when these gallstones lodge in the cystic duct, they're going to block that flow of bile, and the gallbladder itself will become inflamed and cause a significant amount of pain for the patient. So let's do a very quick gallbladder anatomy and physiology review. So that gallbladder is a small pear-shaped organ, and it's located in the right upper quadrant. And the job of the gallbladder is to store and concentrate bile. It will then release that bile into the duodenum when fats are sensed to be present and need to be digested. So the duct leading in and out of the gallbladder is that cystic duct that I mentioned just a moment ago. It joins with the hepatic duct to form the common bile duct. So at the entrance to the duodenum is a sphincter called the sphincter of odi. And when fats are present in the duodenum, the gallbladder contracts the sphincter of odi relaxes and bile then enters the duodenum to aid in that digestion of fats. So the next question you might be asking yourself is, what is a gallstone? So gallstones are formed 
due to impaired metabolism of bile acids, bilirubin, and cholesterol. And there are three subtypes of gallstones. The most common type are cholesterol stones, which are made up mostly of cholesterol. They form in the bile that is overly saturated with cholesterol, and it forms these crystals that aggregate and become stones inside the gallbladder. But, of course, they can then become lodged in that cystic or common duct. Now, pigmented gallstones contain less than 30% cholesterol, and they can be brown or they can be black. The brown type are soft and the black type are hard. So the pigmented brown stones are more common in East Asia and are associated with bacterial infection, biliary parasites, and biliary stasis. They tend to form in the common bile duct. And then pigmented black stones are the rarest type and typically form inside the gallbladder in patients who have chronic liver disease. And then that third subtype is mixed. So patients could have mixed gallstones, a combination of the pigmented and the cholesterol type. So let's talk now about inflammation. You may have heard the term cholecystitis as well. Cholecystitis is inflammation of the gallbladder. Now this inflammation can be acute or it can be chronic and in the acute form, it's typically a result of cholelithiasis. It's typically a result of gallstones. So gallstones lodge in the cystic duct and they cause obstructions to that bile flow. So over time, the gallbladder becomes inflamed and distended and angry. And as that organ swells, gets inflamed, Pressure is then placed on the blood vessels, and that can lead to ischemia. It can even lead to necrosis and gallbladder perforation. And then chronic cholecystitis is typically due to inadequate bile emptying and dysfunctions of the gallbladder muscle wall that eventually cause the organ to contract, become stiff and fibrotic, so it doesn't function properly. Okay, you guys, so... Since cholecystitis is usually a result of cholelithiasis, we'll look at these kind of together using the straight A nursing latte method. So the first letter in latte is L. How will that patient look? So again, the patient could have zero symptoms if those stones are inside the gallbladder and not lodged in a duct somewhere and not so large in size or number that they disrupt normal gallbladder function or cause any inflammation. As long as bile is flowing the way it's supposed to flow, nothing's getting inflamed, then the patient could have zero symptoms with cholelithiasis. But if they are having symptoms, if that inflammation is present, and they definitely have either a blocked duct or some cholecystitis, some of the things that you may see is tachycardia, fever, and epigastric pain that could radiate to the right scapula or shoulder. The patient may also say they have pain in the right upper quadrant after eating especially large meals or especially fatty meals. 
They could have abdominal guarding and rebound tenderness with possible rigidity if it's really severe. And then if you're assessing for a Murphy sign, when the examiner presses on the patient's right subcostal area and asks them to take in a deep breath. So if you're doing that and you're assessing for Murphy sign by pressing at that right subcostal area, asking them to take in a deep breath, if the patient has such severe pain that it abrupts their ability to take that deep breath in, that's called a positive Murphy sign, and it's a really good indicator of some cholecystitis, some inflammation going on. The patient may complain of nausea and vomiting. They may have flatulence, heartburn, indigestion, belching, and pruritus. And if that stone has blocked the common bile duct, you could see jaundice along with that pruritus because those two often go together. And the patient may also have foamy orange kind of colored urine and clay colored stools. And if the pancreatic tuct is blocked, the symptoms will be associated with what you would see in pancreatitis, okay? So I would say, you know, if you had to zero in on the super basics of what you might see in this patient, I'd go with that pain in the right upper quadrant after those large meals or fatty meals, that epigastric pain that could radiate around to the right scapula or shoulder, the positive Murphy sign, the abdominal guarding, and maybe that nausea and vomiting. Those might be the most common-ish that you might see on an exam or in clinical, okay? All right, so how do we assess this patient? So A in latte means assess. So of course, you always want to get a full pain assessment on anyone who is having pain, and the PQRST format is great for this. As a reminder, P stands for provocation, what brings it on, what aggravates it, what makes it worse. Q stands for quality, can they describe the quality of the pain. The pain associated with gallstones is often referred to as biliary colic, and so the quality of that pain is often described as dull or cramping. And then R stands for radiate or referred pain. Does the pain radiate anywhere? And yes, they may say it radiates around to my right shoulder blade. And then S is for severity. Have them rate it on a 0 to 10 scale. And then T is for time. This is where you would determine, does this pain come and go? Is this pain constant? How long have you had it? When you do have it, how long does it last? Those kinds of things. So that's what I would include in a full pain assessment. You would also want to get vital signs on this patient, a full set. The patient will likely have a fever and tachycardia. They could have tachypnea as well if they're in an especially severe amount of pain. And if it's difficult for them to take deep breaths, then they're going to take more shallow breaths and more of them. Note that a necrotic gallbladder, which we're not really diving into today because we're just talking about inflammation and those gallstones, but a necrotic gallbladder can cause sepsis. So if your patient has a necrotic gallbladder, they very likely could be septic, have that hypotension, the tachycardia, the fever, and all of that. You would assess for Murphy's sign if that's in your scope of practice. Sometimes palpating is more of an advanced practice role, so just check with that. But again, on that Murphy's sign, you're pressing down 
at that right subcostal space and asking them to take in a deep breath. And if they they catch their breath and can't continue because it hurts so much, that's a positive Murphy sign. You would also want to assess for the presence of jaundice, which could be there, assess dietary habits, inquire about possible foods or types of meals that trigger an attack, Monitor and assess for signs of dehydration as well as their I's and O's. So that's generally how we would do an assessment of these patients, but there's also going to be tests that will be conducted. So the first T in the LATTE method stands for tests. So initial imaging studies that are often ordered by the MD include ultrasound of the abdomen which can be done endoscopically or transabdominally, and of course, transabdominally is going to be the least invasive, or a CT scan or possibly both. A HIDA scan, H-I-D-A, this type of scan involves the injection of a radioactive substance that attaches to those bile-producing cells, and it enables the examiner to see the flow of bile through the ducts. And then ERCP, endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, and you can see why we just call it ERCP, this enables the examiner to visualize the location of the stones and where that blockage might be and significance of the obstruction. The great thing about ERCP is that it can also be therapeutic, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Common labs that might be drawn include white blood cells, we're checking for leukocytosis, bilirubin, the levels could be elevated, and alkaline phosphatase, which could also be elevated. So the next letter in the LATTE method is T, a second T, and that's for treatments. So what treatments are typically provided for cholecystitis and cholelithiasis? So we definitely need to address the patient's pain. We will give analgesics as needed. Typically, these are opioids, but we could also give antispasmodics to relax smooth muscle, and these are anticholinergic. So that biliary colic pain that I mentioned earlier, it's it's basically due to that bile duct contracting as it attempts to move the stone. So anticholinergics like scopolamine will block acetylcholine, which relaxes that smooth muscle and helps manage that pain. We'll also address dehydration with fluid replacement and electrolyte imbalances will be addressed as well. We also want to address infection if that happens to be present by giving the patient the appropriate antibiotics. We also will look at addressing their nausea and their vomiting, which can be quite severe. So keeping the patient NPO helps with that. Giving antiemetics like Zofran on Dancitron or metoclopramide, which is Reglan, and maybe considering a nasogastric tube for gastric decompression if the nausea and the vomiting are really severe. And then we have surgical interventions. So if the disease is bad enough, they may just want to take out the gallbladder, and that is a cholecystectomy. And this procedure can be done laparoscopically, which is most common, but if there's a lot of issues or problems or complications or something unforeseen, they may have to go to an open procedure with a larger incision. 
you could do surgical removal of the gallstones themselves. And this is called a, let me see if I can say this one, cholidocolithotomy. And who knows if I said that right, you guys. But if you want to see how it's spelled, you can check out the blog post that goes with this episode. A cholecystostomy tube may be needed to decompress the gallbladder. So this procedure is done percutaneously and is often performed in interventional radiology. I've taken care of a lot of patients with a cholecystostomy tube. And then a T-tube may be placed in the common bile duct after cholecystectomy to allow for drainage of bile. And it's called a T-tube because of its shape. So if you go online and look for T-tube gallbladder, you'll see what I mean when you look at the image of it. And it has an external outlet, and that's where the bile drains into a collection bag. Typically, this is a temporary measure for patients, and they can even go home with the T-tube with the proper education. And then non-surgical interventions. So that gallstone could be removed through ERC. This is considered non-surgical because we're not making any incisions, but it's still a pretty significant procedure because it does require conscious sedation. So it's something that could be done at the bedside in a critical care unit. Typically, we do these at the bedside. If the patient's not in critical care, they may go to an endoscopy suite to have this done and then come to the recovery room, the PACU. As they wake up from that conscious sedation. So ERCP again is the endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography and it can be diagnostic. Remember we can look using ERCP but while we're down there looking the cool thing about it is that we can do something about it. So the uh, GI physician may need to widen that sphincter and get in there and it can actually retrieve the gallstones with that equipment. So it's very, very cool. You could also have lithotripsy to break up larger stones. And then in patients who cannot have surgery, can't tolerate surgery, maybe they're poor surgical candidates, what have you, maybe they just want to take medications to dissolve cholesterol stones. And it does take a while for the stones to dissolve. And I would try to pronounce these meds, you guys. I can't. Just <laughs> there's no way. I there's no way I could spell it or say it. But it is on the blog post associated with this episode. Some adverse effects of those cholesterol dissolving stone medications are diarrhea, elevated cholesterol levels and elevated LFTs, those liver function tests. So the E in latte is education. How will you educate this patient? So some of the key things are educating the patient to eat smaller meals with less fats, okay? Teach them how to care for any drains and tubes, so that would be part of their discharge instructions, and ensure that the patient understands when to call their doctor. So I'm going to do a few pod quiz questions for you guys on this topic. So if you've never done a pod quiz before, I do have several episodes that are all pod quiz and they're awesome. A recent one, I believe is episode 123, and it goes over some basics of electrolytes. So 
you can go check that out to see what it's like to do a full episode of pod quiz questions. But I'm just going to do a few here that go along with what we just talked about. So what is the medical term for the presence of gallstones? That term is cholelithiasis. So you see how we're just kind of doing flashcards with our ears with this. Your patient is taking a medication to dissolve cholesterol stones. What labs might be abnormal because of this medication? So the two that we talked about were they could have elevated cholesterol levels and they could have elevated LFTs, abnormal LFTs. Very good. Why is an anticholinergic used in patients with an obstructive gallstone? So we use anticholinergics because they act as antispasmodics of smooth muscle. And the hope is that we prevent that smooth muscle from contracting, causing more of that pain associated with the biliary colic. Very, very good. Describe a positive Murphy's sign. So a positive Murphy sign is when the examiner presses on the patient's right subcostal area and asks them to inhale deeply. If they're unable to do that because of severe pain, that's a positive Murphy sign. And one more, what is the most common type of gallstone? That is a cholesterol stone. Very good. So doing pod quizzes really is like doing flashcards with your ears. People absolutely love them, and they love them so much that I made an entire separate podcast dedicated to pod quizzes and some other unique and engaging ways to study. So that is called Study Sesh. Straight A Nursing Study Sesh, and it is my members-only podcast that truly, truly changes the way you study. So in addition to the pod quizzes, there are a few other things that we use, such as drills, which are my favorite. So drills is where we really tackle those things that you do need to memorize for nursing school. I know most of the content you learn, you are learning concepts. But sometimes there's some underlying memorizing that has to go on. For example, if your clinical instructor says, how do we assess cranial nerve four? Well, if you A, haven't memorized which nerve is cranial nerve four, and B, whether it's sensory or motor or both, or C, what it does, then you can't understand or even remember the concept of how you assess for it. So drills are those underlying things that we need to memorize. And it's recite, 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 review. We do things forwards until we get it. Then we do it backwards. We do it out of order. We really drill it into your head. So drills are awesome. I love them. And then there's something called power hour, where we just deep, deep dive down into a topic and really go through it and really explain it. The power hour on blood pressure regulation is amazing. And the study guide that goes with it is just absolutely spectacular. 
spectacular. And then there's case studies where basically we're going through a clinical scenario, practicing making clinical decisions and making those clinical judgments. So some episodes, like I mentioned a moment ago, do have downloadable study guides to enhance your learning. And it's great. It's just a great way to study and review while you exercise, do your meal prep, commute, take the dog for a walk, whatever it is. It's just another way to get you away from your desk for a little bit so you can move and be more productive. So the information about all of that is at straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. So two words, study dash sesh. You can check out all the information there. All the questions you could potentially have, I think I've already addressed in the FAQ. So you want to check out the FAQ there if you have any questions. So if you want to check that out, go to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash study dash sesh. I cannot wait for you to check it out. If you've loved the pod quizzes, you're just going to go absolutely wild for this. At the time of this recording, I want to say there are, let me see how many episodes uploaded, probably about 22 or so, maybe 24. But then again, obviously, if you're listening to this way after the published date, there's many more than that by now. And, you know, covering all kinds of subjects like pain assessment, infection control, atrial rhythms, stroke, cardiac pharmacology, lab values, the RAS pathway, cranial nerves, electrolyte imbalances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So go check it out. I really, really am excited to be your study buddy on the study sesh. So next week on the podcast, I want you to come back here, same time, same place. We're going to talk about something that a lot of students have been starting to get a little bit nervous about, and that's the next generation NCLEX. So if you're starting school now, there's a good chance you may be taking the next generation NCLEX by the time that you graduate. So come back next week and we'll talk about that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 